0: And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.
1: Settle in for an evening of mystery, mayhem, and exploration of the dark side of humanity. I'm Dr. Shiloh, a former cop.
2: And I'm Dr. Scott a former Hollywood casting director. Now we're both forensic psychologists working in Southern California.
1: Are you fascinated by the twisted minds that commit criminal acts? I want to kill you, Bobby. Do you ever wonder How could they do that?
2: In each episode of our podcast, LA Not So Confidential, we dissect the nexus where true crime, forensic psychology, and entertainment meet. Dee Blanchard was exaggerating her daughter's medical condition for financial gain. We serve up fascinating cases viewed through the lens of human behavior. Why is your brother afraid of you?
1: Delivered with our signature gallows humor while examining the actual diagnoses and dishing on the media portrayal.
2: The kids are my life. Subscribe to LA Not So Confidential anywhere you go for podcasts.
1: Come and join us for LA Not So Confidential. Trust us, we're doctors.
2: Hey everyone, today's episode is a super important one. It deals with an Indigenous woman who has been missing for over two years. Before we get into the story, I want to thank all my Patreon, Coffee, and Apple Premium supporters. Without your financial support, this show wouldn't be possible. I also want to thank all of my listeners and subscribers. Thank you so much. Your support means everything to me. Okay, let's get into it. On March twenty fourth, 2020, Pepita Redhair was dropped off at her boyfriend's house by her mom, Anita. She'd been dealing with violence in her relationship for a while. Friends and family had noticed that she would have bruises on her body. Her family was worried about her. They worried for her safety. Pepita's mom, Anita King, told Pepita that she could come back home and stay in her childhood room. She told her that everything was exactly like she left it, and it wasn't going to change. Pepita wasn't having any of that, though. She was an ambitious, young woman and had worked hard to be independent. Despite her fear, Anita said goodbye to Pepita not knowing that this would be the last time that she would see her daughter for many many months the lack of coverage and concern by law enforcement and the media in this case is shocking now let's go ahead and get into the story of pepita redhair i'm eric carter londine and this is true consequences <coughs> we get too far into this story, I want you to hear from Pepita's mom about what Pepita means to her and to learn about Pepita as a child.
1: Pepita was a person. She was a loving, kind young lady. And ever since she was born, um, you know, I took care of her and I have she has other brothers and she has sisters. So she, she graduated from high school. And she also went attend community college, university, and also in Albuquerque, she went to CNM to continue her education. And she was a bright young lady. She's always having to speak smile. And she will always call me every day and ask me how I'm doing, mom. Are you okay? Everything okay? Do you need anything? I'll be coming home to stay um i mean i missed her so much it was a really bright young lady i missed her and she likes to draw and she her hobby was her favorite hobby hobby was um skateboarding (laughs) i love that and she loves to skateboard downtown she did and she liked talking to people she likes to make friends
2: Prior to her disappearance, Pepita had been visiting with her family in Crown Point, New Mexico. Crown Point is a small town on the Navajo Nation in McKinley County. Pepita is described as someone who is too big for Crown Point. Knowing that Crown Point is a pretty poor area and that she wouldn't find a good paying job easily, she moved to Albuquerque after graduating high school. She had aspirations and dreams, and she loved living in the city. But she also loved spending time with her family. So... She would make regular trips to Crown Point and back home to Albuquerque. While Pepita was getting settled in Albuquerque after high school, she started attending college classes and in 2016 she met a man and started dating him. They were known to be very affectionate with each other. Pepita's family was hopeful and they noticed how happy she was when she started dating him. She also started to show interest in the traditional Navajo wedding ceremony and began asking friends and family about the process. It all seemed to be going perfectly fine, and the future seemed bright for the young couple. Everyone in the family felt like this was a positive thing for Pepita, but then the family learned that Pepita had been hit by her boyfriend. She disclosed to her family that she was in an abusive relationship. Her family begged her to leave her boyfriend and return to Crown Point, but she told them that there was nothing there for her, no opportunity. She also told them that she loved her boyfriend and wanted to be with him. On the day Anita dropped Pepita off, she reassured her mom that everything would be okay. She told her mom that she loved her and asked her to take care of herself and to drive home safe. Now, I want to go into some statistics related to intimate partner violence in Native communities. And I'm going to be reading verbatim from a report that was generated by the organization called Futures Without Violence. American Indian women residing on Indian reservations suffer domestic violence and physical assault at rates far exceeding women of other ethnicities and locations. A 2004 Department of Justice report estimates that these assault rates could be as much as 50% higher than the next most victimized demographic. National annual incidence rates and lifetime prevalence rates for physical assaults are also higher for American Indian and Alaskan Native women compared to other women. In a 2008 CDC study, 39% of Native women surveyed identified as victims of intimate partner violence in their lifetime, a rate higher than any other race or ethnicity surveyed. This finding has been common over the years. A study from 1998 that utilized a large national probability sample found that American Indian, Alaskan, Native American women, were the most likely racial group to report a physical assault by an intimate partner. According to the Bureau of Justice Statistics, U.S. Department of Justice, Office of Justice Programs, at least 70% of the violent victimizations experienced by American Indians are committed by persons not of the same race. A substantially higher rate of interracial violence than experienced by white or black victims. In a 2006 study, 96% of American Indian respondents who had been a victim of rape or sexual assault had experienced other physical abuse as well. During a physical assault, American Indian and Alaskan Native women were more likely to be injured than women of all other groups, and more of these injuries needed medical care. Violence against Indian women occurs as a gauntlet in the lives of Indian women. At one end, of verbal abuse, and at the other end, murder. Most Indian women do not report such crimes because of the belief that nothing will be done. The reason I tell you all of this is because it is integral to the story of what happened to Pepita, the violence she endured, and the lack of support from government agencies. All of this is related and connected to the generational trauma that Native people experience and have experienced for generations. The problem is staggering. And without resources to address these issues... They will persist. I tell you this because it's important to understand what the family of Pepita Redhair is up against in trying to find her and navigate a world that doesn't care about a missing Native American woman. Yes, yes, there are people who care, I I know. But on a large scale, these problems get ignored. And you will see this in Pepita's story. And if you're anything like me, it's going to piss you off. Anita told me in an interview that Pepita would text her every day. She would message good morning, mom, and good night, at a minimum. She's very close to her mother and her family. She would not miss a single text. And this is what happened the day after Anita dropped Pepita off at her boyfriend's house. On March 25th, Anita waited for her good morning message, but it never came. There was no good night message either. Another day passed and still no word. Anita started to worry about her daughter and she had a feeling that something terrible happened. On March 27, 2020, Anita messaged Pepita and received no reply. Anita called Pepita's boyfriend and asked where she was. His reply was, quote, I don't know. She left. This caused Anita a great amount of concern. She went from being a little worried to completely terrified that something terrible had happened to her daughter. Family in the Dene culture is particularly important. Pepita and Anita were often in contact daily and it was very out of the ordinary for her to ignore her mother. Anita knew something was wrong, so she started to get in touch with the rest of the family to let them know that Pepita was missing. Anita's next step would be to contact the police. Unfortunately, the response from police was less than helpful. They told Anita that Pepita was an adult and was allowed to go missing if she wanted to. They told her not to worry and that she would probably show up after a couple of weeks. I need to stop here and say something. I value law enforcement in our communities. I think they play a vital role in public safety. But when a family member tells you that their loved one is missing, you don't get to decide if it's worth doing anything about. File. The report even if it does end up not being a big deal it's better to be safe than sorry the first 72 hours are the most crucial when it comes to any case and delaying that process only makes it more difficult to find the person and it greatly reduces the chance of learning anything or finding out any information from potential witnesses there's no waiting period to file a missing person report i'm going to say that again there is no waiting period to file a missing person report. Don't let anybody tell you that there is. We shouldn't have to ask to speak with another officer or keep calling just to get a missing person report made, especially when you learn that New Mexico has the highest incidence of missing and murdered indigenous people in the country. There are some awful prejudices out there about Native people that create this culture of not caring for our neighbors, and it is wrong. If you are trying to file a missing person report and somebody tells you that you have to wait, ask to speak with someone else. People shouldn't have to beg law enforcement to do this. It doesn't matter how old, how young, what ethnicity or race or gender or any other characteristic. If someone is missing, police should take the report, no matter what. The family decided that they were not going to wait for the police to do anything they started searching for Pepita themselves. They made flyers and distributed them all around areas that Pepita was known to frequent. They talked to people in those areas and asked them questions about the last time that they saw Pepita. The family would go to bus stops knowing that Pepita was a bus rider and asked random people at the bus stop about her. They put posters on lampposts, on bus stops, in doors and mailboxes of homes near Pepita's boyfriend's family's home. Unfortunately... They didn't immediately get any information that helped them find Pepita. One of the major issues related to police resources was the pandemic. At the time Pepita went missing, everything in New Mexico was shut down. Police were not meeting and interviewing face-to-face, and their offices were closed to the public. This made it even more difficult for the family to get the support that they needed. And as you can imagine, family was very angry with the police department. So... Tired of dealing with Albuquerque, they went to the Navajo Nation to ask the police for help there, but because the disappearance happened in Albuquerque, there was nothing they could do. The family started reaching out to the local news stations, and they were turned away. They had no support and no help, not from the media, and not from the police. Pepita's sister then went to Pepita's boyfriend's house and was yelling and calling for him to come outside. No one answered. But her sister was sure that someone looked at her out the window. Feeling hopeless, the family continued to search and spread the word about Pepita. Now, Pepita's boyfriend has never been charged with anything related to her disappearance.
0: It's true that some things change as we get older, but if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com.
2: There are hospital records, though, that show Pepita had been seen after being a victim of assault. It's important to remember that everyone is innocent until proven guilty in the eyes of the law. This is a fundamental right that we have here in the United States. It's not my contention that the boyfriend is responsible. In fact, I try to leave my opinion out of these cases and let you think for yourself. The point of this episode isn't to accuse anyone of any wrongdoing. The point is to create awareness for the family, so that if anyone out there has any information about Pepita, they can come forward and hopefully give some answers to her family. I will say, though that it took her boyfriend until April 19th of 2020 to file a missing person report with the police for Pepita. She went missing on March 24th, and it took him almost a month to file a report. And according to this report, which he filed, he claimed that he and Pepita had an argument and that she stormed off. He said that Pepita had received a text message from a man named Laramie, and her boyfriend claimed Laramie was the last person who saw Pepita. So the family started posting on social media asking for help finding Laramie. He did reach out to Anita and told her that the last time he saw Pepita was on his birthday on March 10th. He told her Pepita brought him a cupcake and sang happy birthday to him. According to Laramie, this made Pepita's boyfriend angry. And he also said that while he was standing there, Pepita's boyfriend hit her. Laramie left after he saw this. He told Anita that this was the last time that he saw Pepita. I want you to listen to Anita discuss some of the struggles that Pepita had in her life.
1: Ever since she met the guy that she thought she loved, she looked, she had changed, she... The alcohol was available. So she just, you know... um, she just got into it, but she wasn't as bad as an alcoholic. My, I don't know, my, I didn't know my daughter that she was a bad alcoholic. I mean, um, she was a, she wasn't homeless. She had a home. She had a room. She left everything behind um, the way it is when we took her back to Albuquerque.
2: The
1: room was still waiting for her. The room was still the same. It's hmm. still the same setup. Just like I said, you know, if the family, if that individual was with, her, you know, cared about her, loved her, my daughter wouldn't go missing. My daughter wouldn't have been beaten to, this with bruises. Her lip was busted, and been. She wouldn't have been in domestic violence. Yeah. And and I deal with it every day. Since day one, my life has changed. How would people sleep? How would that person eat and sleep? That's what, you know, I'm a very respectful person. Mm-hmm. I don't go out and terrorize the family, and I just want answers. There's no lead, but somebody knows something. Really need answers, we do need help. She, she would have always called me. Just like I said, she was always in contact with me. Her and I went shopping. And I miss that. And people, you know, listening to me, reading the story, something that did something to her, they come forward.
2: In April of 2020, the family started searching in the West Mesa area of Albuquerque to see if there was any sign of Pepita. The area is remote and vast, and the search didn't turn up any new information. But it's important to understand how large the West Mesa of Albuquerque is. According to the City of Albuquerque website, the open space is about 10,000 acres. It would take months to scour that much land with any level of scrutiny. As time progressed, tips came in, and one even seemed promising until the family learned that the sightings were just another woman who happened to resemble Pepita. Anita and her family spent months looking for Pepita, chasing down leads, It's really important to note that human trafficking is a huge problem in New Mexico. This is a theory that the family has also explored. New Mexico is so close to the Mexican border that it's not uncommon to have cartels and other groups move people through New Mexico. And if you live here, you've definitely heard of the near-miss abductions that happen with women and girls throughout the state. There are several groups working to help trafficking victims, including the Attorney General and the Bernalillo County DA. I'm going to read from the New Mexico Attorney General's website. The New Mexico State Statute defines human trafficking as a person knowingly recruiting, soliciting, enticing, transporting, or obtaining by any means another person with the intent or knowledge that force, fraud, or coercion will be used to subject the person to labor, services, or commercial sexual activity. Recruiting, soliciting, enticing, transporting, or obtaining by any means a person under the age of 18 years with the intent or knowledge that the person will be caused to engage in commercial sexual activity or benefiting financially and or receiving anything of value from the labor, services, or commercial sexual activity of another person with the knowledge that force, fraud, or coercion was used to obtain the labor, services, or commercial sexual activity. And the following is read to you verbatim from the Immigration and Human Rights Law Review. Indigenous people make up only 1.1% of the United States population, yet they account for nearly 25% of human trafficking victims. Further, Indigenous women and girls are the least recognized and protected population. Sex trafficking is defined as the exploitation of a person for labor, services, or commercial sex through the threat or use of force coercion and fraud in the united states marginalized communities primarily people of color are victimized at a higher rate according to the fbi 40 percent of victims of sex trafficking are native yet native women represent 10 percent or less of the general population racism and the historical mistreatment of marginalized communities leave minority and low-income youth vulnerable to sex trafficking Indigenous people face a unique relationship with sexual exploitation. Sex trafficking of contemporary Indigenous women is almost indistinguishable from the colonial tactics of enslavement, exploitation, exportation, and relocation. It is possible that Pepita was the victim of human trafficking. The problem is that it took so long for authorities to respond. And I'm not even sure that they have responded. So any hope for evidence recovery and or witness identification continues to reduce as the days pass. And that's not to say that it is hopeless. I believe there is always hope. But it is frustrating to know that due to COVID and a number of factors, not the least of which is the fact that the family was essentially ignored, has led us to the point with 31 months and no sign of Pepita. Imagine for a moment that you're Anita and you haven't seen your daughter for 31 months. Let's listen to Anita discuss her daughter's disappearance.
1: March 24, 2020, that's when we dropped her off around six twenty p.m. in Albuquerque at her boyfriend's place. And she got off. She said, Mom, I love you. Take care of yourself. I'll be okay if something happens or my boyfriend gets mad. I usually call my friends, but I never met those friends. And then on the 24th, that Tuesday, Wednesday night, Thursday, I tried getting a hold of her. Friday, I tried getting a hold of her. And I called her boyfriend. She told he told me that she left. So Saturday I tried Sunday on Monday I text her and the guy had her cell phone. Um, this guy had a cell had her cell phone. He said that um some guy named Darren sold it to him. And I tried to retrieve the phone, but I never got it back. But we went and um, shut it off through the cellular one.
2: So this was just a random person that was replying to your text to your daughter. Yes, that's really suspicious. Obviously,
1: since every um, that day on the twenty seventh, I would, I I knew something was wrong. Something's telling me, you know, as a mother, as a mom, you could you know, sense and you could feel something's wrong with one of your child. I tried calling the Albuquerque police, but they, uh, I got hold of one of them. And he said that it was a random call, domestic violence from his home. And I even told her, can you please go over there and ask where, where she went, where is she? And he said, we can't interview him. We can't do anything because of COVID. We can't contact anybody in person. So I went round and round in circles again. So finally, I reported her missing, and I was told by the APD that um, she's free to travel. She's at that age, 27. So even then, I reported her person call from another missing person unit, another state. They contacted me, and I gave her the description the best I can, and that's when she started. um, She went into the missing person data. And there was no help. I mean, I was finally um, afterwards. um, There is the detective was assigned to us, and he didn't really do anything because um, their excuses was COVID. COVID. So I deal with this every day. It's heartwrecking. It's just it's frustrating. Unknown loss. We miss you. Please come home if you're listening to me somewhere. I know if you're out there. Or if somebody did something, please say something.
2: Finally, I want you to hear what you can do to help the family of Pepita Redhair.
1: There is a reward offered also through the Crime Stoppers. If you know anything, let the Crime Stoppers know. Call Crime Stoppers. You're not going to be asked who reported, who said that. So, like I said, I'm a very respectful mom. But please don't touch her. So we, I restarted it, you know, try to like this Saturday we're doing um, a ground search and, you know, traveling 200 miles, you know, it takes a lot for gasoline. Also for our team, the team that cadaver dogs, they want gas. So, you know, I would appreciate that people would, you know, still go fund at least, you know, $10 without $5 and, you know, traveling to Albuquerque, talking to people. And um I usually buy um a freezer bag from Sands Club and put goodies in there and her flyer. And, you know, I just need prayers, you know, around the world. Keep her name out there. Say her name.
2: If you or someone you know has information that can lead to the whereabouts of Pepita Redhair, please call 505 242 2677. You can follow the case on Facebook using the link in the show notes below. There's also a GoFundMe that has been set up for the family of Pepita Redhair to help in the search. That link is also in the show notes below. If you or someone you know is a victim of domestic violence, you can call anonymously to the National Domestic Violence Hotline. And speak with somebody today. Call 1-800-799-SAFE or 1-800-799-7233. If you know someone who is being trafficked or if you are being trafficked, you can call 1-888-373-7888 and get some help. Or you can text HELP to 233-733. Thanks for listening. And stay safe, New Mexico.